According to an article written by the Wall Street Journal, blacks, as a demographic, are overrepresented when it comes to statistics of the missing. In 2013, black people were 13% of the general American population, while being 35% of all missing people. The reasons for this disparity are unclear, but it seems that black people largely go missing for the same reasons and circumstances as everyone else, from abductions to domestic violence. It seems to be common knowledge that while black people go missing more often than their counterparts of differing races, their disappearances are covered less in the media. Headlines of articles on this topic reveal how it's felt in our country, with headlines of popular articles like the shocking and forgotten toll of missing black women across the United States or when African Americans go missing, no one notices. This lack of reporting on missing minorities even has a name, missing white woman syndrome, a phrase reflecting the media's tendency to over-report cases of white, attractive, middle-to-upper-class women who either go missing or are victims of violent crimes. Research on this issue shows it's not just our imaginations. According to a 2010 paper on this topic titled Missing Children in National News Coverage, Racial and Gender Representations of Missing Children Cases, missing black children are markedly underreported in the media, citing cases of missing white children causing a media frenzy, like Elizabeth Smart, while similar cases of missing black children, like seven-year-old Alexis Patterson, who went missing at the same time, quote, received little local media coverage, let alone national attention. And when the media does cover stories of missing black women, according to the 2008 paper The Invisible Damsel, media outlets are more likely to mention a black woman's, quote, baggage, such as her abusive boyfriend or troubled past, while mentioning a white woman's role as a mother or daughter and focusing on her physical appearance and beauty. And it seems true enough. I know who Elizabeth Smart is. I had never heard of Alexis Patterson, and this is a problem that persists in our media today. Today's episode is our first reported case where the missing, twin sisters Jeanette and Danette Millbrooks, are black, and their case and the media attention, or lack of it, follows the same sad, familiar pattern. When they disappeared in 1990, there was no real investigation, no media coverage, really nothing you would expect of two teenage twin girls who fell off the face of the earth. It was a stroke of luck we even found this case in the first place. We found it on a Facebook page created by their sister. The page has 400 likes. Outside of this page, there's little to no information about them. It's hard to know what happened in this case exactly, who dropped the ball and when, But this story is one of negligence and injustice, a failure of the system which is supposed to protect and defend all of its citizens. Here's Daniel. Yeah, what can we do? We we, we can't go out here and physically look for them. We don't know where to begin. We can't just go knock on people's door because ain't nobody, some people don't want to talk to you. Some people get angry and aggressive even if you come to their house. So why not get the police involved and they look like they ain't trying to do nothing to help. When twin sisters Jeanette and Danette Millbrooks left home on a Sunday afternoon in March of 1990, their family had no idea they would never see them again. Jeanette and Danette were 15 at the time of their disappearance and finishing up ninth grade at Lucy Laney High School in Augusta, Georgia. 
Their plans were to finish out the year at Lucy Laney and then transfer to another high school in Augusta, closer to the apartment in which her family had recently moved. Jeanette and Danette's half-sister, Shantae Sturgis, was 12 years old on the day her sisters disappeared. Can you tell me the last time you remember seeing your sisters or the last memory you have of being with them? The day they went and got missing, we was all sitting around in the living room looking at TV. And they asked my mom, did she have any money so they would be able to catch the bus back and forth? And she didn't have any money, so she called my goddad on the phone. And she, he said that he would give them the money. And we were just sitting there laughing and joking and stuff about what was on the TV. And my mom told them to go head on before it got too late. So they was getting ready to walk out the door. And I was laying on one sofa. They were sitting on the, um, I was laying on a the sofa. They were sitting on the floor. And I was like, I want to go with y'all. And they was like, uh, no. I was like, I want to go. I kept asking them. I wanted, uh, told them I wanted to go with them. They kept telling me, no, nah, I couldn't go. And they said, we'll be back. We're just going down here to get the uh, money, and we coming back. And that was the last I talked to them. Can you tell me the story, as you know it, of the day your sisters went missing? Uh, it was an uh, afternoon on March the 18th. They was going to my goddamn house to pick up money so they could catch the bus back and forth to finish the semester out. They made it to my goddamn house to pick the money up. They left it off from his house and went by my sister's house. She stayed on the street called Pickett Avenue down here in Augusta, Georgia, where we live. After they left my sister's house, they went by the store called Pumping. It was called a pumping shop back then. It's something that was called now, but. They went inside. The lady who works in there, she knows my mom, so she told her she did see the girls come in there. They came in there and brought chips, can in, a drink. After they left out of the store, she said she don't have no idea what way they went. If they left, got in the car with somebody in the parking lot, she said, I don't think she knows. She looked up and they, they were gone. And that was the last place they were seen was at that store. When nighttime came and neither of the girls arrived home, Shantae and her mother Mary began to get increasingly more worried. Because there is an official waiting period between when a person is believed to go missing and when you can actually file a missing person's report, Jeanette and Annette's disappearance remained unreported and uninvestigated during the crucial hours immediately following their disappearance. In 1990, when Jeanette and Annette went missing, there was no organized system for notifying the general public of a child's disappearance, like the Amber Alert system we have today. Families back then had to rely solely on the goodwill of both the police department and the media in order to get the word out that a child was missing. For some, this task is so daunting, it is practically impossible. Do you remember what it was like the days after your sisters went missing? Yeah, we just kept wondering and trying to get in contact with people they went to school with to see if they had seen them. And we kept calling to around to see if they dad seen them, if they had went to their dad's house or something. 
I mean, we just worried. My mom, she'd get me. I'd go out there with her sometimes. Me and one of my other sisters would go walking out, out with her. And she'd be wanting to look in, like, some of the little woods and bushes and stuff that was around in the area where we live at. You know, like little alleyways and stuff like that. Because we done heard of stories where people done been found and been raped and stuff like that down here where we live. So she wanted to make sure that not, they weren't in the woods or they wasn't hurt nowhere. So we'll walk and go looking for them ourselves, but we never could find them. You have to wait 24 hours so the next day is when they put them on the news. It was only on one news station at that time. It was on China 6 News. After that, they never aired anything about them anymore. They never published them in the newspaper, anything. What was the police or sheriff's office reaction when uh, your sisters went missing? They had a guy by the name of Detective Schiff. Oh, they, uh, he was an investigator over their case. He came out a couple of times, and every time he came out, he even accused my mom of lying about the girls being missing. And she wanted to know what they read. He'd go out here and say he went to this person's house, and this person told them that my sister and them said they didn't want to come home because they was pregnant. One of them was supposed to be pregnant, and the other one um, just wanted to stay with her. Then he done came back and told my mom that if the girls was found, he come make them come back home. The last conversation that she had with him is when he told her that he was closing the case because they had turned a certain age, and that he they come make them come back home even if they did find them. So he closed the case out and nothing never came about it. And my mom kept calling and kept calling down there to the sheriff's department when nobody never responded to help her. Even if he did find them or he did see them, he could at least have to told her, well, yeah, we found the girls here. Gave her a perceived address or whatever, and she could have went to see if she could have talked to her own children and to come back home even if he didn't want to. But she never, he never gave her that kind of information. The only thing he said is what he couldn't do no more because they turned a certain age. And I know that's impossible because people 70, 80 years old go missing and they look for them for years if they have to. I had never heard Detective Shelf's name before, although I had heard about the horrible mishandling of the original investigation. How, since the twins' case was labeled as solved, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children dropped them from their database, preventing virtually all ability for law enforcement and nonprofits to collaborate in raising awareness for the twins' disappearance. I couldn't find the original detective to contact him. I don't even know if he's still alive. If, by chance, he hears this, I would love to speak to you and understand what information you knew at the time and why you were so sure of the rumors regarding one of the twins' pregnancy. Do you have any idea why he would sort of dismiss your sister's case like this and not sort of help your mom um, and your family find resolution? We, we, we don't know. We still don't know to this day because, like I said, 
I'm still a child, but I'm still missing my sister now. We have no idea where they at. So years and years don't went by. So when I got up to the age, I was like probably 19, I started doing, trying to research and do stuff myself. So I was putting the information in, in the system and see if I could find them once the internet came popular. I put their social security number in, their birthdays, when nothing ever come about. So I said, well, let me call down here to the sheriff's office. And every time I called in, that the same result she was getting, I got too. Then nobody want to help. They kept telling me the same thing they was telling her, saying that, well, we don't have anything here about no missing twins or uh, missing Jeanette or missing Danette Mirabrook. We don't have anything about that, man. What they told me that we had to hire our own private detective and stuff like that once when I called down there. Okay, I kept calling down there, still trying to get somebody to listen, still trying to get somebody to help, because years keep going by, and years keep going by. By this time, 23 years done passed. Still nobody would help. My mom called back down there, and by this time, she got so frustrated, she stopped calling because they wouldn't help her. So I said, I'm going to do it. So I kept doing it. I, I'm not the oldest sister, but, you know, I was very, very close to them, even though I was 12 and they was they not too far from me. I'm 38 years old. They 42 years old. So we it's not much of a big age difference. So we were very close. We slept in the same bed together, slept in the same room together, took baths together. So, you know, I, I know my sister now. They didn't run away from home. I think something happened to them, and that's what I kept trying to tell these people, but no, they were never listening. So finally, what, 2000 and I think it was like 2013, we got a new sheriff down here. Once we got the new sheriff, he was on TV, and I seen he said that he wanted to help the community and stuff like that. I called down there to talk to him about it to see what I could do to see if he would help. And finally, that's when we got the results. That's when they opened the case back up 23 years later. It took 23 years for someone to listen. But 23 years is a long time for things to get lost, damaged, or destroyed. And in this case, that's exactly what happened. And so it, it was then, I guess, at, at your insistence that the case got reopened at all, right? Yes. He got a lady by the name of Ashley Fletcher. She was the investigator over it this time. And he had her out here. She was going out here, you know, trying to get information. Basically, they kept telling us that they had nothing in the system. They couldn't find no paperwork about them being missing because... Back then when they got missing, like I said, they didn't have computers and stuff like that. So the paperwork that they had, they said, oh, it got messed up when the it got rained down in the, um, the sheriff's office because they got a new building now. But it got rained out and paperwork got messed up. I mean, it, it seems like, though, even if they did run away from home, right, like you still deserve those answers. You know, your family still deserves to know what happened regardless of what actually did happen. Exactly. 
Exactly. I even called down there one time, and they was telling me that my mom's kids got taken away from her. I said, what kids? They, um, we got a, a report that the kids had got taken away. I said, who? They your mother's children. I said, my mom's kids ain't never got taken away from her. They said, well, this is what we got in the system. I said, no, they got it wrong. My mom's kids never got taken away from her. Because why would they take two kids away and leave the rest of the kids in harm's way? This is what I'm trying to explain to the people. They gave me a number and said, call to adoption agent. So I wind up getting in contact with the adoption agent. The adoption agent said they couldn't tell me no information over the phone that I had to fill out some paperwork they send back to them to see if they had been adopted out. But she said, that don't sound right because why would they adopt? Your mom would have knew about all of this if that had to happen. I said, yes, ma'am, I know that. I said, but this is what these people are trying to tell me. So i make a long story short with that. I never sent the paperwork because I already knew that they got the information wrong. My mom's kids never got taken away from her. When she got six, six kids at home already, why would they take two out of the home and leave the other four? Because of Shantae's insistence, in 2013, two decades after Jeanette and Danette went missing, law enforcement released an age-progressed photograph of the two sisters to the public. The faces transformed from smiling 15-year-olds to adult 39-year-old women. That's, that's about the only thing they've done. They released the age progression um, pictures, which the lady actually did that through um, some kind of system, and she got DNA from my mom. She got DNA from my older sister and DNA from their dad because my older sister and the twins, they got the same dad. She said they was going to run it through the database or whatever and see if they could find anything. And she came back and told us they didn't find anything in the system with them in it. They even ran their social security numbers. They said they can't find nothing, nothing. It's like they was never here. So when they released recently those age progression photographs of your sisters, what was it like for you to see them now or what they would look like now as opposed to the last time you saw them on the sofa that day? I was kind of nervous because I was like, what if I done seen them somewhere and I ain't know who they were? Because it was kind of scary. I said, it, it, do, it resembled them. You know, first we was like, no, nah, mom. It don't kind of look like them or whatever. Then again, I was like, but well, they done got older. So I know, I think I would know them if I recognized them. But it, it just, I feel kind of emotional. Right. You know, I would, I want to see them. I, I, it was just, just like looking at them right. when they got, the, you know, but older. What were your sisters, Jeanette and Danette, like? What were their hobbies or, or what were they interested in? But Jeanette, she wasn't really interested in nothing. But look at that TV. Like I said, she was a TV person. She liked looking at TV. My sister, Danette, she just liked to talk on the phone mostly. And, you know, I mean, they didn't get in trouble because they, they weren't no trouble kids, put it like that. They wasn't no trouble children. They, they, they were just normal teenagers. 
I mean, they had um, a couple of guys that liked them. They did talk to a couple of people, but not as far as in dating nobody. They wasn't dating anybody. We just had moved out there in that neighborhood. We hadn't been too long moved out there in that neighborhood when they got missing. There's a guy by the name of Steve. He wasn't allowed. In my, well, nobody allowed in my mom's house, but one day she came back home from the store, and he was in the house with them, so she had told the people about that because they wanted to know anybody that had any kind of contact with them in the last couple of days. These guys that you mentioned that sort of were interested in your sisters, were these guys teenagers or were they older men? They was they was teenagers, but they were older than my sister them. They probably had to be like, maybe my sister them was like 15 at the time they got missed because their birthday hadn't came yet. So these guys probably had to be like 18, maybe. I'm sure that you probably think about your sister's disappearance a lot. Every day. Have you come across any ideas about what you think happened to them or looking back now, any anybody sort of seems suspicious or anything that comes to you? I don't know, but, you know, I just sit here and think because the a year after they got missing, another young lady got missing. It took them 20 years to find her. But when they found her, she was deceased. Some guys was in a, in a wooded area doing some construction work and they ran across her bones in some wooded area. And she got missing a year after my sister Nim got missing. Her name was Tiffany Nelson. That, that comes across my mind that something like that could have happened to them. And then you got this little story that happened in Cleveland where the girls was uh, kidnapped for so many years and their family thought that they was dead and the guy had them in the house not too far from where they lived all them years. And I, I think about that, you know, that that could happen to them. We, we just don't know. We don't know if they're dead. We don't even know if they're alive. But I think if they were in Augusta, Georgia, if they was alive, somebody that know us would have seen them by now. I want to break from the narrative here for a second because of something Shantae mentions. Shantae refers to two cases, each one representing a possibility of what could have happened to her sisters Jeanette and Annette. The first case that Shantae mentions is that of nine-year-old Tiffany Nelson, who went missing in 1994, four years after Jeanette and Annette, but under virtually the same set of circumstances. Reports indicate that Tiffany was last seen filling up the tires of her bike out front a convenience store only three miles away from the pumpin' shop where Jeanette and Danette were last seen in 1990. The only major difference in these two cases, besides age, is that 11 years after Tiffany went missing, two men discovered her skull and bones in a shallow grave in a wooded area. Tiffany's case is still open and unsolved. The second case that Shantae mentioned intimates the possibility that Jeanette and Danette are still alive out there somewhere, being held captive. Ariel Castro from Cleveland, Ohio was responsible for kidnapping three girls and holding them hostage in his house for over 10 years until one of them was able to escape and seek help. For Shantae and her mother, it's simply the idea of not knowing which has taken the biggest toll on them over the past 26 years. How was your mother doing through all of this? It took a toll on her to me. My mom is going to be 62 this year. And 
some 62-year-olds still walk around like me and you. You know, they, they still walk around. I could tell by her demeanor. Every time something happens to somebody else's child, I know it brings that memories to her. That she don't know where her girls at. Some of these people, kids get missing, and then they wind up finding finding them, even if they are deceased. At least they know. She just don't know anything. Cause me and her talk every day, you know. So I know she feel like that they let her down. That if something did happen to her girl, it'll take them years from now to probably even find out because. When nobody listen at her, when nobody try to help her, she even contacted John Walsh, uh, John Walsh on the um, the American Most Wanted. She she contact we done contact Oprah Winfrey. We we contacted so many people trying to get them involved to help, so they denied it because they said the sheriff's department had to get them involved in it. What is your relationship with your mom like now? Do you think that your sister's disappearance has affected your relationship with your mother in any way? It brought us, I know it had brought everybody closer together. And now that she got grandkids too, you know, she's scared that if they go anywhere and they be gone too long, that something might not happen, you know, because I'm like that too. My kids, they sort of get angry with me because I just be I be cautious because I don't know if they leave here that'd be my last time seeing my kids just like she feel the same way same thing with him and you know it just makes her makes us very um I guess cautious with our kids to where they get angry with us because they think that we too aggressive or overprotective of them. But when something like that done happen to you and you don't know where your kids at, then, I mean, it, it, it takes that kind of effect on you because you, do, you don't want that to happen all over again. You don't want time to repeat itself. Do your kids know what happened? Yes, yeah, I have talked to them about it. They know now, you know. They don't know them, but they know they got two aunts that's out here that we know don't know where they at. They know about it. Is there anything else important or essential that you think I should know or anything else that you'd like to say in regards to your sister's case that maybe I just don't know about? Well, it was one one little um, thing when they did open the case back up. They went to go talk to their dad. Okay, their dad told the call my older sister and told them when the people got ready to go talk to him, he said that he didn't want the people coming down there to his house and told my sister to tell my mom to tell those people to leave him alone and don't open the case back up and told my sister if they call her, don't answer the phone and get her number changed. And we trying to figure out these are your children. Why would why wouldn't you want these people to look for them? Right. And and what what sort of answer did you get to that question when you when you asked him or, or posed it to him? I never got to talk to him myself. My mom never got to talk to him about it either. This is just the message that my older sister came called my mama and told my mama about it. 
So we related the message to the lady on uh, who was over the case. The same thing. We told her the same thing. And she was like, well, that sounds strange because these are his kids. Why wouldn't he want us to look for them? Because told her, told told my sister to tell my mama to leave, leave that alone, leave that case alone with those girls. Um, those girls probably out here with some man. This is what he say. Leave those girls alone. Um, told my sister don't answer no phone. And they did come back over there, don't answer the door, and don't um, let all uh, them people talk you into talking to them about nothing. Told her to um, change her phone number. Mm-hmm. There's such a, a stark difference between what you and your mom were trying to do in in terms of like trying to do anything to find your sisters and then their dad who seems to not even care that they're gone. Yeah, and then another thing with him, they do have a, um, he got arrested sometime between that time they've been missing for helping somebody conceal somebody's murder. Some guy killed somebody and he helped hit the person body. Wow. So, yeah, so we don't know if that could have happened with them. Is he in jail now? No, he's out of jail now. He he done been released since that happened, but he did get arrested for it. And I forgot how long he stayed in there, but he did get arrested for for that. Does your family have any contact with him to the today or or now? My my uh my mom's brother and them when they come down here because we my family is actually from Thompson, Georgia. My uncle and them they come from Thompson down here because they grew up with with my um uh, my sister and them dad and they go down there with him uh, where he at you know just to catch up or whatever case may be and every time they go down there he always drunk because he's he an alcoholic. He told her to tell the people not come to his house and to uh, tell my mom to leave that alone and stuff like that. She was worried about her kids. She's been worried all this time. You know, worried I had to herself to, to where she done. Hey, uh, my grandma done passed away. My grandma don't even know where they at. Everybody done worried so much, you know. And some of my family members, we said everybody still talk about it to this day. Some of my friends still talk about it to this day. Whatever happened to them, the people that stayed in our neighborhood, they keep talking about the same thing. Whatever happened, did the people ever find you trusting them and stuff like that? And we have to tell them no because I don't feel that they're looking for them. They, they, I don't feel that they're trying to push the effort as they do some of these people out here in the world that they have got missing. Why do you think they they didn't put that effort into finding your sisters when you know I, I don't know. I have no idea why. Yeah. I have no idea why. I don't know why would he close the case out. You, he I, I feel he shouldn't have never closed it out. Yeah. Until my mom know or had some kind of physical contact to say okay, well, I know they here. They say they don't want to come back home. Then so be it. But you didn't do that. You closed it out based off somebody told you they saw them somewhere. Right. And that the girls had been spotted here. So you closed the case out because they turned a certain age and somebody said they seen them. So you just closed it. They never reopened it back up until, like I said, 2013 from 1990. 
from the time all these years they had been missing, I just finally had a dream about them this year. I haven't dreamed about my sister and them since they've been gone, but this year I did. And I dreamed that we had found them. I, I woke up out of the dream crime because I actually thought I had really found them. I'm talking about like I had physically contacted and touched them, that somebody had them held hostage in, the, in this house and had them inside some kind of basement that's up under the, um, up, up under the floor. And I got word that they was in there and me and a boyfriend of mine in the dream supposedly went inside the house with my mom and we got them out of there. It was so many people standing outside cheering and stuff saying that they were glad that we had found them and it's about time and it took for us to find our own family members versus the police department and stuff like that and I was crying, I was touching them and for some reason in the dream they kept doing some kind of signals with their hand and I just can't figure out what what was that they was doing with their hands in my dream and I was telling my mama about it my mama was like maybe that's some kind of sign that we gonna find them so I mean I I don't know other than that I don't don't have nothing but it, it seemed so real though it did Jeanette and Danette's disappearance remains open and unsolved. If you have any information regarding their disappearance or where they could be now, please contact the Richmond County Sheriff's Office in Augusta, Georgia, or contact us through our website at thinairpodcast.com and we will forward your information accordingly. We put in multiple requests to speak to someone in law enforcement regarding this case. We never heard back from any of them. We would like to thank Shantae Sturgis for sharing her story with us today, and we hope her and her mother eventually find the resolution they're looking for. Today's episode of Thin Air Podcast is brought to you by our donators over at patreon.com forward slash thin air podcast. One of our goals on our Patreon is to become a more frequent podcast. We love doing this and dream of a day when this can be our full-time job. If you'd like to hear more from us, please consider making a donation at patreon.com forward slash thin air podcast. Links are on our website, thinairpodcast.com in the upper right hand corner. Patreon is a website that empowers supporters of the arts like you to give a donation to projects that you love. We need your support to continue to bring you quality content. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash thin air podcast. Original music for this episode came from our friends at Conifer Audio. If you are interested in original compositions or other audio services for your own podcast, drop them a line at coniferaudio at gmail.com. Join us again in two weeks.